Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. In this week's episode, I interview Diane O'Grady-Cuniff. Diane works at the Maryland Center for Computing Education and has experience working in high school settings as well as collegiate levels. In our discussion, we're going to not only talk about advice for new and veteran CS educators, but we're also going to talk about how you can potentially start or expand your program in your class, school, or district. As always, the show notes will link to some of the stuff we're talking about. For example, Diane mentions the Scripps program that cs for all runs, which is a fantastic program that I recommend, and I have a direct link to that inside the show notes, as well as some other links as well. And you can find those show notes by clicking in the link in your app, wherever you're listening to this, or by just visiting jaredoleary.com, where there's nothing for sale. And now we're going to begin the interview with Diane introducing herself. I'm Diana grady Conniff, and I'm the director for the Maryland Center for Computing Education. And we're a center that just started as part of the University System of Maryland last year. And we got funding from Larry Hogan, who's our governor here in Maryland, who's one of the governors for computer science. Can you tell me the story of how you got into computer science education? Sure. I got my computer science degree back in the 80s, so I'm dating myself. I talked and worked in the computing center there as an undergraduate. The people there were fantastic, definitely made me love what I was doing. And then they hired me at the university right after I graduated because they were desperate for people to teach computer science courses. I didn't stay there long because I moved around a lot. I always had, and I always found some place to teach and work for computer science, either doing network administration, teaching at community colleges. There just seemed to be ongoing opportunities. I finally ended up teaching in a public high school, and I was kind of shocked by three things. The first one was the lack of diversity in the classes. The second was how likely computer science was to disappear off the course offering list because of different factors. Mm. And the third one was what you really deal with in a public school classroom as far as you're almost more of a babysitter than a content delivery person compared to teaching at the university level. And that was a lot to learn. Mm. But I learned a lot from peers and especially learned a lot when we formed our own CSTA Maryland chapter with some university people and a bunch of other lonely and desperate souls because we all realized that computer science might not stick around if we didn't actually do something about it. And working on the update in 2010 for the CSTA K-12 standards really helped me see that the bigger picture of what was going on. So I really got into CS education at that point. Yeah. And your point about working in public schools and how it's it's different from higher ed, I, I'd just like to kind of reiterate that real quick. I'm fortunate in that I've worked with every grade K through graduate. And it's so different when you're working with people who are paying a lot of money to be in your class versus people who are forced to be there. Mm. You just have to take that into account in terms of not everyone's going to be interested in, in whatever subject you're doing. Exactly. And it's just a whole different way of presenting things, a whole yep. different way of, you know, in, in university, people are like grateful that you have distilled something into a meaningful piece that they can relate to. And in high school, they're like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes wish that more college professors would have classroom experience in the K-12 to better understand computer science education research in particular, because it's just night and day different, or at least it can be. Totally. So can you tell me a story about an experience in education that continues to impact you today? Yeah, I thought about that. There's really, I think, two things that were kind of formative for me. And, and the first was in third grade, we read a story about this kind of computer-assisted individualized learning scenario for the future. And I was like, yeah, that's it. 
you know, why shouldn't I be learning what I'm ready to learn instead of what everybody else is learning and direct it to what my interests are? And then the second thing was I homeschooled my kids for a number of years and we worked with other groups and everything we did was inquiry-based and project-based and learning just lasted. You know, you, you learned what you needed to learn and you used it and it just seemed kind of natural. When I worked at the university, I did work with some of the projects to develop online learning modules and to realize how much goes into creating those personalized learning experiences with all the ifs and thens and yep. Wow. <laughs> Didn't know that in third grade. <laughs> so what's something you believe when you first began working in education that you no longer believe? So I think one of the biggest things that I believed in the beginning was this idea that change could happen quickly. <laughs> it can in private schools and it can in universities. You know, you can have a lot of agency to say, hey, I want to do this. And people say, okay, go do it. But it's sort of this one-on-one -on -one thing, but this institutional change, somebody somewhere along the way, you know, gave us that line about this is a marathon, not a sprint. And it did take me years to really believe and understand how much that's true. <laughs> Just got to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Don't walk away because you could lose the progress you made. What kind of advice might you give to new CS educators? Yeah, for the new people, we keep pushing this idea of being the lead learner. And I think that's super important. Just be willing to give it a try. So many people discover this is something they do like and they do have a talent for once they get there. And so hope that that's the case, that this isn't just a once and done thing. You've got to keep learning yeah. pedagogy and content, right? There's yep. wonderful things happening in this area all the time. Barb Erickson just did a talk this week about how the value of Parsons problems ties into student learning and retention and about near peer learning through giving everybody a multiple choice question and then discussing the answer together before you decide what the answer is. And, you know, they're starting to do some different kinds of research in computer science that comes out of what they already know in other kinds of education. There's, there's just so much to learn content wise, pedagogy wise, and just remind yourself, keep learning. Yeah. And, and your comment about doing research that's already known in other subject areas, that's actually something I talk about in a podcast that hasn't released yet, that one of the biggest recommendations that I give is to read outside of your subject area. Mm -hmm. So if you're a computer science educator, read stuff in other content areas and just read stuff outside of education in general. You can learn a lot that you can apply in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah podcasts and, and different things to little two-minute stories. And yep. So how might your advice change if I were to ask you, what kind of advice would you give for a veteran CS educator? I think that's really that thing about just keep learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's really the advice for, it's for new and veteran. And then would it be the same for teachers who are interested in integrating CS or CT, but aren't necessarily doing it full time? No, because what I'm thinking with the people I work with that are trying to do the integration is it really helps if you start small. Mm, yeah. If that's possible, if somebody's not, you know, dumping a whole <laughs> dump of stuff on your head and you yeah. just have to swim through it. But, you know, keep trying to just kind of push outside the box and, you know, think about it. Math is computing. We are computing technology. So, you know, there, there's all these connections just because the way that we teach English language arts doesn't include computational linguistics and things like how we communicate body language, inflection, the digitization of things. There's all these wonderful connections to every subject area that's in computing. If you can just be able to take bits and pieces of it and make it part of other things we'll finally get to the rational point where we should have been all along where computing is part of what we teach. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of organizations in the last few years in particular, like Co.org, who are are great at advocating for and promoting those connections that can be made and demonstrating like the value of learning computer science or coding. But there are some districts where it just hasn't caught on yet, either because it's not mandatory in their state or it just administrators are unaware of it. But there are like individual teachers who are incorporating CS or CT in their class. What might you recommend for those teachers who want to expand the reach to outside of just their classroom and maybe reach their whole district? Yeah, I think a lot of us started out as lonely souls, kind of the voice in the desert there. And, you know, to keep looking for other collaborators and connecting with other people that are doing what you're doing is a big part. But if you really want change to happen, I think you have to work from bottom up, top down and sideways all at the same time. (laughs) Because that's, I think, what happened in Maryland that really worked. And it took us a few years of doing that. But, you know, peer to peer works really well. A principal tells another principal, look at this great thing I did, or a counselor, or a district administrator, or another teacher, and an elementary teacher to an elementary teacher. So people having success and telling other people about it is part of what makes it work. But then at the same time, trying to educate your legislators, trying to educate your administrators, it's a lot. But really, that's what we are. We're like this big education institution trying to catch up with what people don't know. Yeah, I... I really like the idea of the peer-to-peer as two examples. Like one, you could share on social media and that could potentially help promote the idea um, with other teachers in your area. But two, just inviting administrators to your classroom to see what you're doing can lead to interesting results. I had a makerspace that was a middle school elective and the superintendent just happened to walk in one day and was like, this is amazing. And long story short, it ended up that we created a maker bus that traveled from school to school that would provide these maker experiences so that everybody in the district could experience that at some point throughout the year. So that just one off moment where the superintendent walked in my room led to a makerspace going to every one of the schools. So things can kind of snowball into bigger things. And, and it doesn't have to be something as big as a bus, right? It could just right. be those lending bins. Right. Okay, let's make up some bins of these cool little activities for logic or these cool little robots and let's make them available to people so that more people can do it and let's provide PD for it so they know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the thing that I often see is missing or the PD that's provided is just this one-off thing where it's like, okay, I've I've spent six hours or eight hours doing this, this thing. And now what? Yep. Or they, they give you training on something that you're actually not going to have access to. (laughs) Gosh, that was fun. I wish (laughs) I could do it. Yep. So what kind of advice might you give to district administrators who see the awesome things that can be done with computer science and are interested in getting started with it in their district or school? I think Script CS for All really has distilled a lot of great lessons inside of there. You know, talk about learning from other people, but you got to have a vision and a plan. You got to be able to say in words, why is this important to our particular community? And you got to work in teams. You can't just have one-off person who might leave, be the one person making the plan for everybody. You got to do vertical planning. And it's amazing in districts how often you find the high school, middle school, elementary school people haven't even talked, much less the special ed people, the counselors. It's got to be a team thing. You got to have the vision and you can't do it all at once because you don't know what's going to work yet. So you've got to do it in stages. And like you and I were just saying, you know, you've got to build relevant professional development. 
into the plan at every single step. Don't just give somebody a pacing guide and say, this is what you're going to teach this year. And the poor soul looks at it and goes, I don't even know how to define some of those words. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, having just a small plan, I think what I'm seeing as successful is, you know, here's how we're going to move it forward. This is the PD we're going to offer. This is the PD we're going to offer for the people who missed the PD in the first place. These are the supports we're going to give people. And moving away from that once and done where you're kind of building a whole structure around it. And for people who might not be familiar with it, scripts is this process that kind of guides you through that. So it kind of helps you think through the questions that you as an administrator need to think through. Like, oh, if we're going to provide PD, well, then we should probably also provide costs for substitutes, or we need to make sure that we have enough devices for the kids or things like that. And it helps you think through the long term, not just the short term of how to implement it in your district. Yeah, in stages, right? Yeah, start with, yep. start with the first part and then get that going and then work on the next part. I like that. Also kind of think outside the box because this is, you know, this whole new subject area, it's integrated and it's standalone. So you got to kind of think of it both ways yes. as far as where it's going to fit. You know, our traditional education is the same education that's been there for the last hundred years and this didn't fit in there. So where you put it is a chance to innovate a little bit. I I really like that you mentioned that it's integrated and standalone. What I typically recommend is to start standalone and then build from there because it's it's easier once kids know how to program or how to use a platform like Scratch to then, okay, now that you have developed this expertise, now you can apply it into other subject areas. But if you go the other way around, it's, it's often a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and it frustrates the teachers, too, because they yeah. want to do this project that's valuable in their subject area and in their curriculum, but instead they have to set aside X number of days to teach the kids the basics to use the tool, which, yeah, definitely works out better that way. So what mistakes or hard lessons have some districts made that you would recommend others avoiding? I think some of the biggest mistakes that the districts make are getting stuff and not really knowing how it fits in or what you're going to do with it. Or like we said, providing enough professional development that people are comfortable using it. Another thing that people do that doesn't turn out well is taking too big of a step all at once. And sometimes that's not a district. Sometimes that's a state thing where, you know, now it's mandated. Every student must take computer science. You know, I have five teachers in my state. I have to have 500 of them within two years. So it's not like they always have a choice. I think if they, they're able to work with that script, have a short plan, act on it, build up and analyze your gaps, always keep your state standards in mind, always keep equity of access in mind while you're doing it. You know, how am I going to reach all kids as I work? Because some people have this vision that computer science is just for some, and all of their efforts go towards building this elite group of computer scientists for the future whether they're cybersecurity people or artificial intelligence or cloud computing, whatever, which is a great thing to work on, but you're missing 90% of your kids if that's where you focus. Yeah, that's an important note. And there are many ways that you can approach it, unless you have a district or a state mandate of everybody needs to do it at once. Some districts will do, okay, this first year we're going to have kinder through third grade, and then next year we'll have kinder through fourth, and they'll just kind of like keep building off of that. That has a different amount of support that's needed up front than, okay, everybody K through 12 needs to do this this year. You just got to take those into consideration. Which I have seen that happen somewhat successfully, but it just takes a whole 
lot of work on that end. Mm -hmm. One of the other hazards is if you start with elementary, but you don't do anything with your middle school teachers until mm -hmm. the kids get to be that age. Now the teachers are starting at ground zero, but the kids are coming in like on level three. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not kind of educating your middle school teachers at the same time you're training your elementary school students, you create this strange kind of a gap. Yeah, we actually had that in the district I was in. So it was a K-8 district and the high school district was its own separate entity. So we had all these kids who had multiple years of programming experience and then they would go to high school and there wasn't even a class offered at some of the high schools. Yeah, so you have to, that vertical planning piece is where that keeps coming back, right? And the other yeah. mistake that people make is, and universities do it too, is just, just connect with the high quality resources that are already exist before you start to develop your own. Yeah. So many people want to create their own, but face it, two years of testing in a classroom and refining a curriculum is worth a lot. Yep. It is a really big ask for teachers to teach this stuff. And if we're providing them with minimal seed lessons with possibly some links that you have to go out and sort through, that's not fair. Yeah. And I'll say from a professional development and curriculum standpoint, after having done this professionally for a couple of years, we re reiterate and keep adding and changing things every week. So those couple years of experience, like really separate us from people who are starting right away. Yeah. And lots of what's out there is free. I mean, it's high quality yeah. and free. So yep. if you haven't looked at that, why not? That's my big line. If not, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so what about funding? So a lot of districts might be interested in it, but they might not have the money for the PD. What might you recommend for districts who want to obtain funding for professional development? I mean, every state's got their own set of rules and what it's for, but I think, you know, at least in Maryland, all I have to do is talk to me. But to, you know, to create an actual plan that includes a budget and a timeline and show how it actually reaches a broad reach of kids and improves what's already there. So have a plan, a timeline, a budget, objectives. I think you can get a lot farther that way. Try to hook up with people, business, nonprofit, university people. We're all part of doing the same thing. The departments of education are all educating themselves so that they can start to include this in something that they do. So you're, you're kind of getting onto a moving wheel that's already turning. You don't have to start something on your own if you can connect up with somebody else that's already got something working. Yeah. And there a lot of organizations or even state-funded uh, organizations are providing grants and other opportunities for this kind of funding. But what would you recommend for a district who applies for that? What should they really focus on or take into consideration? I just think some people just want to go for the bling. They want drones. They <laughs> yeah, want yeah. the f and, and some of that stuff is great as long as that's not most of it. I mean, especially like people will will go for these consumable kits and then. It, you know, scale and sustain, scale and sustain. Can you get it to every teacher? Can you keep it going? You got to ask yourself that if you're going to write some sort of an application for funding. Okay, so looking out at the computer science and in, in the field of education, what are you looking forward to in the field of CS education? Well, I get so excited about what could it possibly be like once we get past that basic literacy that most people don't have to that point where the majority, instead of this little minority, have the ability to use it as this creative tool mm -hmm. in makerspaces, in school, out of school. I mean, you see examples of what can be done with people who have a background, but still, if you ask any university computer science intro level professor, you have a large number of kids thinking 
they want to major in computer science with real minimal skills. So you have to spend a couple of years playing catch up to get the basics before you can start getting to the really cool stuff. So not flipping that question, what concerns do you have about current trends in CS education? Well, I talked a little bit about this idea of pushing the requirements so hard that you have a bunch of unprepared teachers and instead of a success, you have a big frustration and people have a negative experience. Mm -hmm. Just that if, if you don't do things with, with thought and support for the teachers, quality curriculum, quality professional development, ongoing PD, it, it can just fizzle out. So you know, I kind of worry that a lot of people are pushing forward various requirements. And, you know, while the computer science people are pushing, don't forget out there, there's a whole movement to get AI in K-12 and cybersecurity is developing guidelines for K-12. And these are a whole nother set on top of computer science for K-12. How many different directions can we push at the same time? And speaking of being pushed in many directions, teachers in general are pushed in a lot of directions. And there's this tendency in the field to kind of either stick with it for many years or to fizzle out pretty fast, like within the first few years. And I imagine that might be exacerbated in areas like if a teacher is being asked to or forced to teach CS education, but they're not necessarily interested in it. So what might you recommend for teachers to kind of help stave off that burnout? Well, if they can take things in small steps, that's definitely one of the pieces, but that connecting with peers and, and collaborating on, on things that work well is about the best thing that kept me going. What do you wish there's more research on that can inform your practices or the field? I, I wish we could point to more research that say this works. Almost all of us seem to be flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> saying, I, I, I believe with all my heart and soul that this is important and valuable, but I can't prove it mm -hmm. in any kind of measurable way. I wish there was more research about the pedagogy and, and what really works, because sometimes you can tell a kid what a variable is. 20 times over and they still clearly do not understand what a variable is and what the learning trajectories are that you know this really is the base knowledge you need to build on to get to the next step what questions do you have for myself or to the field at large i would love to know from from you in particular since you've worked with people in a number of different places what trends are you seeing do you see people coming to you with more information and knowledge when they want to do something over time? Or do you see everybody still being at a beginning level over and over again? It varies by district and location. Generally speaking, if a district has seen it done in a neighboring district, they're usually a little bit further ahead in terms of preparation. But most of the places that we work with, it's at the beginning stages. They they are excited about doing something, or maybe they're being forced to do something, so they're hesitant about it, but they're like, okay, help us, where do we go from here? And so I'm fortunate in that I work at an organization that is able to help provide those steps, but I still think there's a lot of floundering going on for districts who are just like, okay, where do I go? What do I, I, I do? And I think, like you mentioned with scripts, that's a good place to start, to start thinking of those questions. I mean, it excites me that every single district in Maryland has started, you know? I mean, that's just this neat feeling that this gigantic barge has started moving forward and there's people in all parts of the state that are doing something. But then when I talk to people in other states, sometimes I feel like, wow, 
overall, we haven't really made that much of a difference yet. We're still at square one. Yeah, that's not the norm yet, what Maryland's doing. Eventually it will be. I mean, I imagine a decade from now, it's going to be a very different conversation that we'll be having in terms of we're no longer starting at ground zero with most people. It'll be more of how do we advance the field as opposed to how do we get it started in all the schools. Just so you know, that's where I thought I was 10 years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I said the same thing. <laughs> well, I'm hope I'm not proven wrong on that positive outlook. <laughs> Me too. It was that marathon sprint thing, though. You know, I think it, things yeah. are in motion now in a way that they weren't 10 years ago. So maybe now it'll be lasting change, not just sporadic change. Yeah. I mean, I think in order for that to really happen, it's got to filter into higher education in the teacher preparation. And that's starting to happen some places. But once these kids who have actually gone through ideally like a pre-K through 12 computer science and coding program, when they get into teaching, they'll have at least had experience, whereas most of the teachers who are currently in the classroom haven't had an experience with computer science or programming. Exactly. I'm, I'm so excited working with our, what, 14 now university partners who are incorporating this into their pre-service programs in different ways. And it's really, really exciting. Universities are such a great resource and they have those connections to the other subject area learning in the colleges of education. And they have the the subject area in their CS or IT departments. How would you recommend making those connections? Because like in Arizona, there was this kind of chicken and egg scenario where the state wanted to provide an endorsement and then force CS education, but then the university wanted to provide training on it, but they were waiting on the state, but then the state was waiting on the university to kind of develop some stuff. So like, how do you make those connections to kind of foster those collaborations between like departments of ed, uh, universities and colleges, and then actual districts? Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge for us too. And But you got to keep trying to connect that circle around your state department of education, your legislation, your university people and your K-12 people and just keep looping around. I think once you have standards and you've agreed that this is what kids need to learn and the educator standards will be published in December 2019. So this is what somebody should know to be a good CS educator. You can at least put, again, beginning steps around that. You're not going to develop all five courses in a sequence all at once. You're going to create that first course. So what does that look like? And then what's an outline of where you're going to be going? And where might people go to connect with yourself and the organizations that you work with? We are csformd.com. So the Maryland Center for Computing Education, most of our stuff is on our website, which I am currently reorganizing. So don't be surprised if it looks a little messy for a few weeks. <laughs> and that concludes this week's episode of the CSK8 podcast. Just a quick friendly reminder that every week the show notes have relevant links related to each episode. You can find that in the app that you're listening to this on or by visiting jaredoleary.com. I ask if you enjoy this content and the content that's on my website that you simply share it, making no money off of it, just want to help other people out. So please consider sharing with somebody who might be interested in these free resources. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I hope you look forward to next week's episode where I unpack some scholarship.